Kiora, and welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by the Auckland Faculty of the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners. I'm Dr. Louise Kugler, a specialist GP, and today I'm talking to Dr. Claire Meehan about teenagers and pornography use. Claire is a senior lecturer in criminology at the University of Auckland, and she specialises in sex and sexuality. She works with young people across New Zealand to understand how they engage with sexual media. Welcome, Claire. Kia ora, Louise. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm delighted to be here today. Great, thank you. So let's just start with a bit of uh, numbers. So thinking pornography in New Zealand amongst the teenage population, what do we know? How common is it for a young person to engage with pornography? So we know that it is pretty common for teenagers to engage in some way with porn. I work with young people from 12 years old up and only a minority of 12 year olds are engaging with porn. In saying that, most of them do understand what it is. Not all of them have come across it. As that age increases, so does the chance of either using porn or coming across porn. So while some young people are actively searching for porn for a number of reasons, many of them have come across it either accidentally, a pop-up, or maybe someone sending them a link on their phone, which they open. So it is pretty common, and we do have to be quite realistic that most of our young people at some stage will at least either engage with it or be aware of it. So it is definitely worth having those conversations and having them quite early. So young people using pornography, it obviously varies amongst the age groups. So can you tell us a bit about what you know here? Absolutely. So as I said, I work primarily with young people from 12 to 16. I do some work with older um, people as well. But within that age group, we know that use does vary among age. So obviously, the older teens are more likely to have had experience watching porn than the younger teens. It is pretty normalized within the teenage population, particularly for young boys. So for young men, watching porn is almost a rite of passage. It's part and parcel. They will often joke about porn with their friends. They will even, you know, send each other links of certain things that they've seen or they like. It's quite different with young women. So while young women have been accessing porn, there's still a lot of stigma and embarrassment around that. So unfortunately, we know that young women get labelled as being a slut for lots of different things. And this is just another compounding factor in that label. So yes, young people are watching porn. There is a difference in how it's understood between young women and young men. We know also that young people in the LGBTQI population are watching it as well. For some of these young people, porn is actually incredibly useful. They get a very heteronormative experience at school. So there's a very straight atmosphere environment. They're taught about sex education in a very particular way. So for young people that are questioning their sexuality, this is an outlet that lets them realize that they're not different. They're not odd. It's just something that they're not necessarily coming across in schools. Most young people aren't massively concerned with their porn consumption or their porn use. I have seen in recent times young men that have been self-reporting porn addiction to me, particularly young men with um, religious connections. 
Now, we know about addiction and we can look at the DSM-5 and porn addiction doesn't quite fit in. To be honest, whether or not porn addiction is an addiction doesn't concern me so much. What does concern me is the palpable distress that a lot of these young men are dealing with because they feel that they're having problematic use with pornography. Speaking with a number of them, their use isn't particularly problematic, but again, the message that they're getting is don't watch porn. If you watch porn, you'll become addicted. And if they worry about addiction, because they feel that there's no one really to talk to about this, they're doing things like the NoFap Challenge. So basically a challenge for three months where they don't watch porn and they don't masturbate. Now, already we can see that that's a little worrying because porn and masturbation don't always have to be married in this way. And masturbation for young people is healthy. But whenever it's so wrapped up in porn and they're worried about becoming addicted, again, it just adds layers of distress that, that I am particularly concerned about. So when you're talking to young people, you've mentioned exploration. What reasons do people or young people give for using pornography? Well, what what reasons do adults give for using pornography? A lot of it's one in the same. It's pleasure. It's sexy. It's fun. And I think that is a big part of it, that it is it's sexual pleasure. There are, of course, other reasons why young people watch porn. So part of it is curiosity. They want to see sexual acts in practice. They want to see what this looks like. They may not have someone to have these conversations with. So this is a perfect way to get an idea of, you know, what this particular sexual act looks like in practice. And as I mentioned before, for young people that are questioning their sexuality, you know, porn doesn't necessarily portray a um, monogamous married couple, lights off, socks on. It, it's quite different. So it's, it is useful for them to see that as well. So there are many reasons why young people watch it. We can't look at them as just one homogenous group. But at the same time, we can't demonize young people watching porn without you know, thinking about, okay, well, why are they watching it? Why do adults watch porn? As I say, porn is part of our lives now whether or not we watch it or not and it's just preparing young people for what that means I think is really important. I wonder where pornography fits in sexual education when a young person has sex education at school my experience from my own teenage boys is there was no discussion around pornography so what do you know about this? So I have been working with schools um, across New Zealand on how they incorporate porn into their sex education curriculum. And again, this is very, very varied. So some schools will really just teach the biological basics of sex education. Some schools will go into porn in a bit more detail. Obviously, it's imperative that it is in there because it's a huge part of sex and sexuality for our young people. Again, it's how it is covered in the curriculum and the messages that are given out. So, for example, some schools tell girls that they can't be a feminist if they watch porn. Now, that's, you know, that's not the case. That's not true. Or boys are told that they will become addicted if they watch porn. So in doing that, schools sort of lose credibility from the get go, particularly for young people that are watching porn, because then they feel a little bit ostracized. But One thing that I get a lot from the young people is that they're getting these kind of messages far too late. So they do need to have these messages earlier. 
Another thing is whenever I go into schools or work with youth organisations to chat with young people about these issues, it's not that they don't want to talk. I, I barely make it out of these sessions alive because they have so many questions and they just may not necessarily have a person to ask about these things, you know, how much is this problematic? What, should, what if they're watching something they're a little concerned with? You know, is any porn use normal? So yes, it, it needs to be covered, absolutely. It is being covered to an extent. Different schools do it in different ways. And again, I understand that these conversations are awkward, they're embarrassing. Kids don't want to have these conversations either, but it is important. And one of the things that schools report quite a lot is that they have concerns that parents will react badly if they incorporate porn into their programs. And again, they're not condoning kids watching porn. They're not encouraging them to watch porn, but it's it's harm reduction, you know, just say no to these things is much too simplistic. So it's it's really taking these things on board to try and equip our young people to say, okay, well, there is a possibility that you're going to watch porn, but what does that mean? How do you interpret and understand that? What does that mean in your real life? And that's incredibly useful for them. So Claire, you've mentioned some pluses and minuses of porn. I wonder if we could just focus in on the pluses for the moment, the good sign of pornography. So Sometimes we have to think hard about the pluses because our natural sort of inherent reaction as adults is to step back and go, oh, no, no, no. And there are minuses. Don't get me wrong, there are. But I think there are also some pluses to young people engaging with pornography. So it does normalize sex and sexuality. It normalizes different sexualities. It moves us away from this very as I say, heteronormative, so straight bound experience that they often get in schools. I've worked with a number of sex therapists who have spoken um, anonymously, obviously, about clients of theirs who are struggling with different aspects of relationships or who maybe have disabilities that they are not currently in relationships. And porn provides an outlet for them. It's almost a sense of intimacy. It provides connections for some people that may not have those connections. And It also encourages some critical thinking skills. So again, how do we unpack this? What does this mean? So we place a lot of emphasis on media literacy, which, you know, is important, but we need to go beyond that. And there's a school of thought now around porn literacy and how young people process this. So yes, there are some issues, but there are also some positives to it. And as I keep saying, we do need to be realistic. So thinking about the negatives now, I suppose the thing that comes to my mind is the detail or the level of detail that these young people are seeing. You know, when I was a child or a young person, you know, there may have been a a playboy under the bed, for example. Now these young people are getting masses of exposure. What do you think about that? So that does absolutely create an issue um, in a number of different ways. So before you may have had a playboy that come out once once a week, once every fortnight, you could hide it under the bed. You had the same stuff to look at for the entire week. Now, porn is much more accessible and the types of porn that we can see are much more accessible. And we know that most people, once they go on to a free porn site, because porn sites such as Pornhub really stats every six months. So people are more likely to flick, 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 you know, until they finish. So 
it's almost becoming disposable. So sex is becoming a little disposable in a way that it wasn't before. And arguably we're bombarded with either porn or pornified images. So very sexy music videos, because, you know, sex sells. We've, we've always known this. I think also that the porn that we say, if we think about porn as an umbrella, there are lots of different genres of porn within that broader umbrella. But the porn that most that most young people access and the porn that we talk about most often is free porn that's available on Pornhub or YouPorn. Now, the problem with this porn is it tends to be really misogynistic in nature. So it doesn't give a, a good indication of what healthy sexual relationships look like. Of course, consent happens off screen. So consent does happen for it, but that's beforehand. Condoms are either not shown or not used. So there are lots of issues around what sex means and power imbalances within relationships. So I think that that's why it's really useful for us to work with young people around this messaging that that they're getting. You know, these are subtle and often not so subtle messages about what relationships look like. And we've seen an increase in certain things that can be almost trace back to porn. So for example, um, young women now, as soon as they grow any pubic hair at all, they want to shave it because pubic hair is seen as dirty. Whereas if we think back, it's really being shaved became um, popular because of porn. And it was just because they could get close in shots and hair wasn't getting in the way. But now that's taken on a whole different cultural meaning. Young women are incredibly concerned about their bodies and in particular about vulvas. So we know porn portrays a particular type of vulva that doesn't represent all vulvas. Yet young women, if they don't fit into that one particular type, they get really concerned that, you know, they're not going to be sexy or boys are not going to want them. So there are lots of issues coming out of porn. Anal sex is another one. And don't get me wrong, I know that anal sex definitely has its place, particularly for same-sex attracted boys. But now it's been placed as almost the, the pinnacle of sexual activity. It's boys are competing with each other who can be the first to have anal sex. And for some young women, you know, this this is painful, but there is coercion to to do it. And I have had instances of young people talking about, you know, essentially having vaginal sex, girlfriend not being keen, halfway through withdrawing and forcing anal sex. And that's rape, you know, that's absolutely sexual assault. But in a way, it's becoming very normalized as just a different type of sex. So if you've consented to one, you're consenting to everything. And we know that that's not how consent works. So we have real tangible consequences. And this is why we need to, we need to take the good with the bad and, and deal with them. Yeah, some really good points there. And I think the consent one really needs to be highlighted, doesn't it? So I wonder if we can move on now to talking about sexting because we live in a digital age and young people are on their phone and devices a lot. So sending sexual messages via text or digital means, how common is sexting? Sexting is incredibly common. So young people don't refer to it as sexting. They talk about sending nudes or receiving nudes. Now, sexting itself is a really broad term and a really broad concept. So it can encompass consensual sexting, um, coercive sexting, and of course, non-consensual sexting. So we know that 
teens that do, send, do share intimate images, the majority that do, do so consensually and no harm comes of this. The harm comes whenever those images are forwarded then non-consensually. And we know that there is a huge gender imbalance in this. So girls are more often asked for intimate images and they're more often the victim of having intimate images shared without consent. We know that the implications for this for young women socially, um, in terms of the reputation, in terms of sexual harassment and bullying, are much more hard-hitting, enduring, long-lasting than for young boys. So images of young men tend to be dick pics. So a, a penis, basically, sometimes a penis and a torso, but very rarely they have a full body or a head in them. Images of young women are either images of the breasts or images of their body with their face. We, we tend to think, oh, well, you know, just say no, she shouldn't have sent the image in the first place. But again, that's very simplistic. Sexting happens within context. So it doesn't just happen in a vacuum. There's been a period of flirting. Um, maybe a girl likes a guy or another girl. They want to see if they like them back. So sexting itself is normalized. Part of the issue, a big part of the issue that as adults and young people, we tend to blame the victim when it goes wrong. So that is incredibly traumatizing for any victims, but particularly for young girls. Another facet of sexting that isn't talked about so much is dick pics. So um, boys sending girls dick pics. And again, there's a place for wanted dick pics that have been requested, but that's very different to receiving a non-consensual um, or unsolicited dick pic. And for the young women that I've worked with, you know, this is actually quite distressing, especially if you're out maybe with your family, with your mom, and suddenly someone sends you this very in-your-face graphic image on your phone. And it is sent to shock, to, to dominate, and it's inserting, forcibly inserting intimacy in a situation that you haven't consented to be intimate. You haven't consented to receive the image nor have you consented when to receive the image. And I guess I would say to the mums and dads out there, from what I'm hearing from my young people is, if a young woman is sent an unsolicited dick pic, she hasn't asked for it. So it isn't that she has been exchanging nudes and wanted this on her phone. Young women will often say that having this makes me feel really uncomfortable, but I can't tell anyone because they'll think that I asked for it and I, I will be blamed or they'll grind me, I'll be punished for this. So this is something that we have to work particularly with young men around, you know, sending dick pics without asking if it's okay is never okay. So it's whenever we talk around sexting, we tend to focus on women's images, but also there's dick pics need to be included in that as well. So what conversations should we be having with our young people about sexting or nudes? So I think normalising the conversation is a really good starting point. And I know it's awkward and I know it's embarrassing and I know everyone will want to hide behind the sofa, but not even just the conversation around sexual media, just the conversation around bodies and sex and sexuality. Because quite often that this either isn't happening or is happening really, really late. So I think having those conversations, acknowledging that it's embarrassing for all, but being there to offer support no matter what. So I've had quite a number of young women who have been victims of 
what we call image-based sexual abuse, so having images shared without consent. And they have told teachers or their parents, and they've been blamed for it. They've been said, oh, well, you shouldn't have been so stupid. You know what we're thinking. This was really dumb. And they've maybe confiscated their devices. So this this isn't re- this is counterproductive. So there needs to be support for young people, no matter what happens. I think all bodies are good bodies is a really important message as well, that a certain type of body is betrayed in porn. That doesn't represent all bodies, nor does porn, sex and porn represent all sex. I think that we all need to talk to young men about respect. That's really, really important. But we also need to accept that young women do have the right to sexual expression. And they do have the right to autonomy of their bodies, to experimenting sexually, to their own sexuality. So whenever we're getting young women, particularly young women around the age of consent, and these things are happening, we, we're often taking power away from them. What we're seeing is a very top-down approach that is thinking about, well, how, how adults understand this conversation, uh, understand this situation and what they advise. Whereas we need to be working with our young people because they're the, they're the experts here. They know things that we don't. We didn't grow up with all of these things. So they're there to guide us. And they, they do want to talk about it, but quite often we shut them down. So I think it's bringing them on board and yeah, getting on with it, getting our hands dirty, so to speak. Absolutely. I wonder, Claire, before we wrap up, if we could talk a little bit about revenge porn, because this was not a phrase I was familiar with until I read some of your research and preparation for this podcast. So can you tell us about revenge porn? Absolutely. So the first thing I'm going to say, and I've been telling everyone this, I've been battling with the media in New Zealand for the last number of years. Revenge porn, the term itself is problematic. It implies that this is some sort of pornography and it implies some sort of consent and it implies revenge. So we often talk about revenge porn as image-based sexual abuse. So at its very crux, it means whenever a sexual or intimate image, again, unfortunately, usually off a young woman, is forwarded non-consensually or uploaded to the internet. Obviously, when this happens, this is really traumatic for the victim. So it is sexual abuse um, as opposed to just, you know, something that's happened online. It can lead to um, bullying, obviously, to sexual harassment. Some young women have also had their details uploaded with the image. So, you know, it's, it's putting stuff out there that is really, really dangerous. And I know in terms of media, image-based sexual abuse isn't as snappy or as catchy as revenge porn, but this is a huge problem for both young women and older women in New Zealand. And I think that we really do need to raise awareness around it and the harms associated with it. There is legislation in New Zealand, which is the Harmful Digital Communications Act of 2015, which does cover image-based sexual abuse. There is a, an amendment to it that is in bill form that's on, in Parliament at the moment, which I'm, I'm putting into submission for. I'm really looking forward to seeing this in place. But I think part of the, the issue around image-based sexual abuse, again, is victim blaming or telling young women, you know, just stay away from the internet, just turn your device off. And I know that we talk about young people always connected to their phones. We're having this conversation on Zoom today. I've taught a class on Zoom this morning. So 
we we need access to digital technology. So it's not enough just to say, keep away. And again, while the law is useful, law isn't enough in itself. We need to really change attitudes around this. So image-based sexual abuse at the moment is really problematic. It's a lot more widespread than we think. And it's something that is often part and parcel with an abusive relationship. So there's the image being released or the threat of releasing an image as well. And I know working with um, family violence organizations, this is something that we're seeing a lot of. So it is incredibly important that we take notice of it. Thank you for your insights there, Claire. Now, I just wonder, as a primary care doctor, how do we best start these conversations with our young people it's important that we do but as you've mentioned before there's often lots of embarrassment so how would you suggest we break the ice and have these conversations that's the million dollar question isn't it um so i guess it's it's making them feel comfortable and knowing that they won't be judged a gp like any adult in a role is a person of authority. So again, that creates a power dynamic from the get-go. So it's trying, I think, trying to work around that and flatten that as much as possible. Just be approachable, be supportive. And if they if they want to go there, you know, let them talk. I know that some of the issues that both young people and sex therapists have said to me is that the GP is a gatekeeper to young people being act, being able to access help and support from sex therapists. So I think just making them aware that that service is there, that this is a normal thing, that lots and lots of young people are experiencing it, that lots of adults experience it too. And You may be concerned about your porn use, for example, or the type of porn that you're watching, but that doesn't reflect on you as a person. It's it's an act as opposed to the person. So, yeah, I'm making it all normal because, well, it is normal. I just wonder, too, if we have a young person in our room, they're concerned, we start to be concerned, where can we refer them? Are there some platforms that we can refer them to? You've mentioned sex therapists. How do we get help for them? There are a number of places. So if it's with regards to an intimate image, for example, and maybe the nude has gone online and they need to get that taken down, first port of call should be NetSafe. So NetSafe are the approved cyber safety organisation for New Zealand. They do have counsellors and they, they are very good. Uh, so NetSafe is one. There are also a number of other organisations in New Zealand. Um, Sticks and Stones operate out of the South Island. They're amazing. They're very, very good. Again, the work they do is very much with young people for young people. So it's a non-judgmental space that gives really practical advice on these things. There are, of course, Rainbow Youth and Youthline as well. So there are organisations out there. And I think just being able to point them in that direction, being a gatekeeper to those organizations, letting them know that someone will listen to them and they won't judge them and they will try to help them is really beneficial. Thank you for that, Claire. And to conclude our podcast today, what would your take-home messages be for our listeners? Take-home messages. So let me think. I think porn is here to stay. Whether we like it or not, it's here to stay and we have to work with it rather than just trying to work against it. 
I do think we need to have these open and honest conversations with our young people and we need to have them quite early. Even thinking about consent, it's just consent in everyday life. Consent doesn't always have to be sexual, but consent is really complex. And young people often see it as a permission seeking or permission granting exercise. So it does go beyond that. We need to have conversations about consent, but then also conversations of consent whenever something is happening. You know, young people do trade intimate images. Not all young people, a minority of them do. But I think it's been off, being able to offer support if they do do that and if it does go wrong. So if it goes wrong, I know that these young people are absolutely traumatized and adding a, another barrier of them being afraid to speak out because, you know, they're afraid of you being ashamed of them is just amplifying that trauma. So again, I know that it's not ideal that they are creating intimate images, but I think just offering support no matter what. I think also it's, we tend to focus so much on young women, which is really, really important. And, but we do responsibilize them with managing their own risk and safety. I think we need to encourage more young men to think about the impact this has on young women and just think about respect and young girls and how we think about them. And yeah, so I guess in a nutshell, it's, it's all about conversation. It's all about making this stuff normal and, and being supportive. Thanks, Claire. It's been a pleasure talking to you today, Claire. Insightful and fascinating. So thank you for your time. If you're a New Zealand GP, our podcasts are eligible for CBD points. So please log them. And the list of resources that Claire and I have used today will be on our website. Thanks for listening.